you are holy and you're worthy to be worshipped and to be praised, Lord. And I just pray, Father God, Lord, that, that right now as we go to your word, that you truly would be our teacher and that, Father, that, that, Lord, we would draw near to you and realize that you're not a distant, faraway God, but that you love us so very much. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. We dedicate this time to you and your glory. May you be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. Your mechanically handicapped pastor up here. All right, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'd be happy to loan you one. And again, if you need to take one home, please take it as our gift. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to take it. That's why we have them. Uh, by the way, of uh, announcements again, the, the couples retreat's coming up in November, and we do have seven other, other Calvary chapels that'll be going with us. So if you're interested in going to that, it'd be good if you sign up sooner so it doesn't fill up. And then also uh, on October 25th, the women will be going to Modesto to the Northern California Conference. It's free, but we're trying to gather up uh, a list of names so we can carpool up there. Well, that being said, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9 this morning, and we're continuing to look at just the radical transformation in the lives of people through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I titled the message this morning, The Transforming Work of Jesus Christ, because becoming a Christian isn't just isn't joining a religious club or, or making a decision to try and do better, but it's an all-encompassing transformation from death into life. When you didn't know God, before you knew Him, the Holy Spirit was with you, convicting you like the, the, the world calls their conscience. But when you became a new creation in Christ, He came, he came within you. Before you knew Christ, your focus was on the things of the world and the things that were passing away were, were the most important things in the world to you. You give your life to Jesus Christ and now your focus is more on the eternal. Before you knew Christ, you loved and esteemed, and maybe we still struggle with this a little bit today, we love and esteem ourselves more than anything else. But when we come to know Christ, we, we are called to deny self and to love and esteem Him. And so we see the transforming work of Christ changes our outlook on everything. When we become a Christian, it's not just something that we, we join on Sunday mornings for an hour and maybe on Wednesday nights, and, and maybe once in a while we say a prayer over our Wheaties or something like that. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week transformation of our lives, going from death into life, becoming new creations in Him. And we're going to see one of the most radical examples of that this morning, as we see that the ultimate miracle is when an unsaved man or woman becomes a new creation in Christ. Now, while each apostle who Jesus called, every one of them, these were guys who were called by God out of, out of dire dire and different circumstances, whether they were fishermen or tax collectors, these were not necessarily men that were pursuing God, but the Lord called them, they all responded and they followed. But the reality is that while they didn't know God, none of them were actually persecuting the church as the man we're going to look at this morning. And as we see the transformation of his life, he's going to go from a man, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, from being a man who's actually seeking to imprison and even kill Christians, to being one of the most mighty men of God. And I'll tell you, when we look at his example this morning, we're going to see some really awesome things that should be an encouragement to us. So we're going to see the, the spiritual transformation of, of Saul, and then time willing this morning, we'll also see the physical transformation of the paralytic man as well as a dead girl being raised to life. So we've seen just quickly so far in, in Exodus that the Holy Spirit has come, or in Exodus, in Acts, that the Holy Spirit has come upon the church, 
and that the Holy Spirit is moving mightily and the church is being added to daily. And we saw that, that the church began to be persecuted for their faith. They even counted it joy that they were allowed to suffer for the cause of Christ. And we saw that the apostles go from being guys who were cowering and hiding in fear and now filled with the Spirit being used mightily by God. Then we saw that as the church was growing a couple weeks ago, that they had to appoint what, they, what we would call today deacons, people to wait tables, people that were willing to serve. And you know, that's where ministry starts. It starts with a heart that's just willing to serve, that says, Lord, I want you to use me. Lord, I don't even know what that means necessarily, but Lord, I'm available. Lord, use me. And two of those men who were willing to just wait tables was a man by the name of Stephen, who we saw two weeks ago, who was martyred for his faith. A man who spoke boldly the truth and was literally put to death for preaching the gospel. And then last week we looked at a man by the name of Philip, who was the first traveling evangelist, if you will, who who ministered to the crowd in Samaria, but also was willing to minister to the individual. So this morning we're going to see spiritual transformation. We're going to see what God does in the life of somebody who's willing to turn to Him. We're going to see that God loves us so much, He's willing to reach out to us and knock us off our high horse or our high donkey or our high camel or whatever He was riding, okay? And He's willing to do that because He loves us so very much. And so we're going to see Saul's conversion. Then we're going to see him baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Then we're going to see him preaching the gospel. Then we're going to see that this man who was a persecutor becomes the persecuted. Then we're going to see people talk about his good works. And then finally, Lord willing, again with time, we'll look at the physical transformation and the way God uses Peter. So let's begin in verse 1 of Acts chapter 9. And we're going to see again the transforming work of Jesus Christ. If you have a head-on collision with him, if you come to know him, you will be different. Amen? Everything will change. That's what Christianity is. So let's begin looking at Saul. And I want to say this real quick, by the way, background. We've we've been looking at him a little bit. We saw in the first three verses of chapter 8 that Saul was making havoc. He was holding the coats when they stoned Stephen. And then he went into the houses. After watching Stephen be stoned and seeing his face shining, I believe he was convicted. And when convicted, we can do one of two things, actually, or three things. We can make excuses, accuse others, or repent. And what happens here is he just hardens his position even more. He says, you know what, that Stephen guy was forgiving people while we stoned him. And that guy's face was glowing. He was talking about Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, getting a standing ovation from God. And you know what, that, he makes me angry. So you know what, I'm just going to be more fired up about what I believe. And so he becomes more adamant. And he goes out and starts going into houses and dragging Christians off into prison, dragging them away. And we'll see that Stephen, he gets more and more adamant and more and more. He's a religious man. He had trained at the feet of the most religious men of the day. He was a respected man, a member of the the Sanhedrin or the Jewish Supreme Court. And we know, as we've seen, he's a very relentless man. This guy is zealous as all get out. This guy won't stop. And you know what? God can take somebody with that personality directed in the right direction. And that's what he's going to do with Saul. So let's look at verse 1. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now, he's still breathing threats. He's still angry. He's still bitter. And you know, if we had stopped and asked Saul, Why are you doing this, Saul? And it doesn't say this anywhere in the Bible, but I kind of wrote what I thought. Here's where Saul was at at this moment. A very religious man. And I believe he would have said something like this. You know, this Jesus of Nazareth, he's dead. And do you expect me to believe that this crucified nobody is the Messiah? According to our law, anybody who's hung on a tree is cursed. Would God use a cursed false prophet and make him the Messiah? No way. 
His followers are, are going around and preaching that he rose from the dead and they're doing miracles in his name, but I believe their power comes from Satan. And I'm going to go out and destroy this dangerous sect of false teachers before it harms our Jewish faith. I believe that's where Saul was at. He was zealous and he was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong because he thought Jesus was dead. And he's about to find out that Jesus Christ is alive. Amen? And you know what? We don't serve a dead God. We serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. And so he's breathing these threats, and he's getting more adamant, and he's getting more zealous and striving to go out and, and, and just bring people to the end of themselves. But here's the reality. He's going to be brought to the end of himself. And just as he's going to go out to arrest the Christians, it's Jesus Christ that's going to arrest him. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus for the, to, to crucify him, to put him on trial and crucify him? And they said, who are you? And he said, I am. Where's Jesus? He said, I am. And what happened? Everybody fell down. And they fell down because they were not arresting Jesus. Jesus was arresting them. And Paul's about to find, Saul at the time, about to find out the very same thing. He's going to go out and try to arrest the Christians, and Jesus instead is going to arrest him. The word breathing threats is he's crazed, he's muttering to himself, he's got deep agitated emotion, he's breathing rapidly and violently. And you know what, I, I also would say this, I believe again, and this is your pastor's opinion, I believe that he's becoming more adamant because he is convicted by what happened with Stephen. If you've ever heard the term before, if you take a rock and throw it into a pack of dogs, the, ones that, the one that barks the loudest is usually the one you hit. And often when you're sharing the faith, your faith with somebody, the person that's the most adamant and gets the most angry is usually the one being the most convicted. I had a guy in Southern California that used to mock me. I had a Bible study at work and he used to mock me and walk by and just give me a hard time every time he could. Oh, that Jesus is a great magician. And he just, was, he just would blast me about my, my faith all the time. And I would turn to him and go, John, the reason you're so upset is because you're convicted about the fact that you're a sinner and you need a Savior and Jesus loves you. Ah, oh, he just get more mad. <laughs> but I realized God's working on it because what I've found is the people that respond that way are typically the most convicted. The ones who have no conviction are pretty ambivalent. They just don't care. You can talk to them about the Lord, yeah, whatever. The ones though, that turn around and want to battle are usually God's working on their heart. And praise God, this guy, John Kite was his name, was a guy that six months later I baptized him in my swimming pool. And so it did work out that here was a man who was adamant, but before you knew it, the 60-year-old guy was coming to my youth group and sitting in the front row and taking notes. But the reality is, when you throw the rock into a pack of dogs, usually the one that barks the loudest is the one you hit. I believe Paul was hit at Stephen Stoning. And now he's trying to you know, be adamant and zealous for what he believes is the truth. He doesn't want to deny that what he's been teaching could possibly be wrong. But guess what? He thought Jesus was dead, and he's going to find out that Jesus indeed is alive. Look what it says. And he asked letters from him, from the high priest, to the synagogues of, Dam synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now remember, it was persecution that caused the church to spread. If you remember a couple chapters ago, they're being persecuted, so they went in all different directions, and it says they preached the word of God everywhere they went. So the persecution of Saul and, and others like him had backfired. All it had done is caused the church to grow. And so now he's upset because the church is growing, and he goes to the high priest and says, hey, give me the, the authority and let me go out and drag these people back here and throw them in jail so they'll stop talking about this Jesus. And the way they refer to Christians is they call it the way. 
And it's interesting because the first century church was often referred to as the way. Where did they get this, the way? Jesus said, I am what? The way. The truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. He's the way to truth. He's the way to hope. He's the only way to heaven. Amen? And so the first century church was called the way. And may we be walking in the way. Verse 3 and 4. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This man was religiously zealous, but he was spiritually blind. And he's drawing near and getting ready to persecute Christians. And he thought that Jesus was dead. And he was going to go arrest those who followed him. And as he's... We don't know if he was walking or riding a horse or or riding a donkey or what he was on, but all of a sudden, everything changed. Because Saul was headed to go persecute those of a dead false prophet, and he's going to find out that he's been persecuting the followers of the risen and living Savior, the very Messiah he's been waiting for. And so as he's headed along, this light shines upon him. And it says in Acts 22 that the light shone upon him in a midday, in the middle of the day. So in in noontime... This bright light shined. How bright must a light be to shine brightly in the midst of a noonday sun? Very bright. But who is the light of the world? Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ shows up, the sun pales in comparison. Amen? He is the light. He's the way. And so when the light showed up, here he is thinking he's going to persecute this dead false prophet's followers, and he's going to find out that Jesus Christ indeed is a risen and living Savior. So this light shines from around him, and he falls to the ground. So this man of pride, this man of zeal, is humbled and brought low. The Bible says when you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will what? He will lift you up. It's when we are weak that He is made strong, and we need to be humbled and brought to the end of ourselves. It's when we esteem self that we struggle with God. And so He had to be humbled, be brought from a place of pride to a place of humility. It says in Acts 26 that everyone was with Him, fell on the ground as well. And that's because nobody can stand in the presence of our Savior. Amen? When when people come before God, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Osama bin Laden will be bowing a knee to Jesus Christ. Saddam Hussein, if he hasn't already, they'll all be bowing a knee to our Savior. Amen? Buddha bowing a knee to our Savior. Every knee will bow. And they fell to the ground in the presence of our Savior. He's holy, he's perfect. He's not a dead false prophet. He's a risen and a living Savior. And he says to him, why are you persecuting me? And notice that he calls Saul by name. He calls him by name, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know what? When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, maybe you heard God, not in an audible voice, but you felt the Holy Spirit calling your name. You know what? It's time. This is real. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. If here this morning, you've never done that. He's calling your name right now. And Saul has an opportunity to respond. And Saul, you know, gets knocked off his horse and this bright light shines around him. And, and you know what? He was such a radical man that God, God needed to do something radical to get his attention. And don't you love the fact that God loves us enough that he'll do whatever it takes to get our attention? That might mean losing my job. 
It might mean, might mean being afflicted with cancer. It might mean whatever it takes, being in a major car accident, to make me realize that I am mortal and make me realize I'm not going to live forever and to make me realize at some point I'm going to have to deal with the Savior. And so he brings him and knocks him off his high horse and now he's on the ground, the light is shining on him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I'll tell you what, if I got knocked to the ground and a bright light was shining and something from heaven was calling my name, I think I'd be repenting. How about you? Amen? I think I'd be, oh, okay, yeah, all right. And praise God for Saul that he does. Not everyone does, though. You see God do miraculous things and people still won't repent because of their pride. But Saul, in the midst of this, look what he says. Verse 5, and he said to him, Who are you, Lord? He calls him Lord. He doesn't know where this light is originating from, but he knows that whatever this light is, it's God. He knows that wherever this light is coming from, that it's greater than him and that he needs to serve him. He realizes, and he says, Who are you, Lord? So powerful that there was no doubt in Saul's mind that this was the Lord. But who is the Lord? And he says, And the Lord said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now understand, he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He had seen the shining face of Stephen, but now this light was shining on him, and it was the very one that that he had persecuted. It's the very one that the Jews had put to death. It's the very one that Stephen had told them about. Just days earlier, he was holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. And now he's out there, and the Lord is knocking him off his high horse, and he says, I am Jesus. And I'll be, you know, Saul's going to go, whoa. Now, can you imagine the thought process going through Saul's mind for just that moment? I'm on my way to kill Christians. I thought Jesus was dead, but he's alive. This is no different than what the apostles found when they went to the tomb. It's no different than what the disciples found. And no different than what you're going to find, or you've already found if you know Jesus Christ, and you're going to see, if you go to Israel with us, we're going to go to the tomb, and it's empty. Jesus Christ is alive. And so he thought he was persecuting a false prophet and his followers, and instead he finds out it's the risen and living Savior. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, a goad was a a cattle prod. It was a stick that had metal at the end, and they would use it to stick the the cows, the ox, to make them go forward. Often they would stick it on the back of, uh, of, of, you know, when they were using something to toil the, the turn the field, and they were going along, and they would stick at the back because the ox would get upset and not want to do the work, and it would start kicking, and it would kick against the goad, and it would actually bring more harm to itself when it became rebellious. And he said, what you're doing, Saul, is you're kicking against the goad. You're, you're kicking against God. You know what? We can't fight against God and win. When you fight against God, it only gets worse. You only bring more harm to yourself. And that's what the Lord is telling Saul. Verse 6. So he trembling... And astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Talk about radical transformation in moments. This guy has gathered up people and they're going to kill Christians and at least imprison them. And he's on his way and literally in seconds he goes from wanting to kill those who follow Christ to saying, Lord, what do I need to do to follow you? A 180. You know what the word is for this? It's repentance. The word repent means to turn and go in the opposite direction. Repent means I was going this way, but now I'm going this way. 
It means that my whole life has changed. I've been radically transformed. No longer self-righteous and proud. Now he's, he's trembling and astonished. And you know what? This guy thought he was bad. But when God showed up, he wasn't so bad anymore. Amen? And a lot of people walk around shaking their fist at God. But ultimately, we're going to stand before God. And if we don't know him, there will be fear and there will be trembling. And that's what happened here. He was brought to a place of fear and trembling before the Lord. He was astonished. But I love his heart. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? This is the sign of conversion. Lord, what do you want me to do? A 180. When we realize who the Lord is and what he's done for us, that he died in our place, that we might have eternal life, is there anything else we should be saying to him? But Lord, what do you want me to do? Can I encourage you? That's a great way to start your day. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, how do you want to use me at work today? Lord, how do you want me to minister in my neighborhood or to my wife or to my husband or to my children? Lord, how do you want to use me today? Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know what? Saul's eyes are now on the Lord. And may we learn to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then look what he says. Arise and go into the city and will be told what you must do. And we've said this before, that quite often the Lord only gives you step one when you ask Him what to do. He didn't say, okay, Saul, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go down into Damascus, and then you're going to be blind for a while, and during that time you're going to be meditating on me, and then a man's going to come along and give you back your sight, and then after that you're going to go away, and you're going to be in the desert for three years and study the Bible, and study the Scripture, and I'm going to minister to you with the power of my Holy Spirit, and then after that you're going to go out and become a great evangelist, used mighty by me, but you're going to suffer a lot of great things, and let me give you the whole roadmap. but first step is go down to the city. That's not what the Lord does. Paul, Saul at the time, go down to the city. Sometimes, I believe most of the time, God just tells us, be available. Go to church on Sunday. Start sharing your faith at work. Start praying for your coworkers. You don't know what step two is going to be, but God just wants us to be obedient in step one. Lord, just let me do what you're telling me to do, what I know I've heard from you. And you know what? So often we're waiting for step nine and ten to be revealed before we'll take step one. And Saul, we're going to see this brand new Christian, this new convert already. I believe he got saved right here. Done. Done deal. Lord, what do you want me to do? That was enough. Seen the light, man. I was once blind, but now I see. What do you want me to do? I'm going. City, okay, where's it at? I'll go. All right? I was zealous for a lie. I'm going to be zealous for the truth. And praise God that he was obedient. But look what it says. Arise and go. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. It's interesting that the voice, they, the voice came, but if you look at the original language, they heard it, but they could not understand it. And I believe it's just a picture of how God speaks to us, but those who really want to hear can hear. And God will open the ears of those who are willing. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Saul goes from being spiritually blind to physically blind he was more blind before this than he is now he was physically blind persecuting the church now or spiritually blind persecuting the church now he's physically blind but he's given his life to the lord and god has brought him to the end of himself he went from being this man who thought he was in charge and now he has to be led by the hand and i believe this is god's preparation for for saul to learn that he needs to be submitted to the leading of the holy spirit that he no longer can be in charge that he needs to be submitted, and he needs to be obedient to the Lord. And they brought him into Damascus. 
and he saw no one. And again, all his senses were shut down. I believe that during this time, he was able to just be still. And, and man, I tell you what, can you imagine his mind must have been racing? I'm persecuting Christians, and now I know that Jesus is the one. Wait a minute. Everything I've been doing has been wrong. My whole life's got to change. Isn't that what happens when we give our lives to Jesus Christ? Everything I've been doing is contrary to, Lord, I've got to change. I need to be a new creation in you. Lord, serving you changes my perspective on everything. Verse 9, and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. I believe that what happened to him just blew his mind to the point where he lost his appetite. He didn't want to do anything but meditate on the Lord. Lord, what are you trying to show me? This is a sign, I believe, of true conversion. He doesn't want to eat. He doesn't care about stuff. He can't see anymore. He's blown away. He has no sight, and, he's, and he has nothing else to distract him. The transforming work of Christ makes a self-righteous, proud man into somebody who's broken and humble, able to be still before the Lord. So we've seen Saul's conversion. Now the next step will be Saul being baptized and filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Now you'll notice, we've saw this, seen this several times. The Lord will prepare the one who's going to receive the message, and he'll prepare the one who's going to deliver it. And then he'll bring them together by divine appointment. It's amazing how God does that. So now he's preparing Ananias. And Ananias is going to be prepared to go and minister to Saul. Verse, verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. So here Ananias is told to get up and go seek out the Saul of Tarsus. Now he started out by saying, Here I am, Lord. And now he says, Arise and go. The same thing that was told to Saul is now being told to Ananias. The one who's seeking after truth and the one that God's going to use to deliver truth. If you're here this morning and you know the Lord, we need to be listening for the arise and go that God might use us to minister to those who need to hear the truth. Amen? God wants us to be available. The greatest ability is availability. Amen? And He wants us to be available and respond when He says, I want you to go. How many of you have ever, again, not an audible voice necessarily, but you know when the Lord says, go tell Him about me. Have you ever heard that before? Ever heard that? Go, go share your faith. Yes, Lord, right? And sometimes we say, well, maybe later, Lord, right? And we don't always do it. But that's what's happening. Arise and go in an audible voice. And Ananias is going to respond. But notice it says that he is praying. And when you look up the word praying in the original language, it's, the word there is as if he's never prayed before. And that's interesting because the Pharisees prayed all to all, nine hours a day. They prayed three different times a day for hours on end. But he's saying that he had never prayed before. You know why? Because all the other prayers that Saul had ever prayed were yelling down a well. Because if we don't know Jesus Christ, our prayers are in vain. Amen? Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and our prayer can only come to God through Him. That's why we pray in Jesus' name and according to Jesus' will. Amen? We can't pray in any other name because we cannot approach perfect, holy God any other way but through Jesus Christ. And so for the first time, his prayers are being heard. He's humble. What do you want me to do, Lord? He submitted. He arised and went in obedience. And now he's seeking after God. Verse 12. 
And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So Saul's praying and he sees a man in a vision named Ananias showing up and laying hands on him and praying for him. So God's preparing both Saul and Ananias, again showing him the perfect sovereignty of God and preparing the heart of both the one that brings the truth and the one that receives it. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard from many about this guy, about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now, he arises and goes, but he's also saying, well, wait a minute, Lord, are you sure about this? Are you, are you sure? This guy's a wreck. Saul of Tarsus, he's blind, good, cripple him. You know, Lord, let's drag him behind a, you know, behind a, a, a team of oxen. Let's just get rid of this guy. Persecuting your people, Lord. We can't go and help him. You know what? May we never fall into the trap of thinking anyone's beyond salvation. Amen? Sometimes we look at people and we think, oh, now I wonder. I don't know. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible. I wonder if anybody was praying for Saul. He was attacking and persecuting Christians. They were running from him. Was anybody praying for him? I don't know. I hope so. But you know what? Should we not be praying for those who persecute us? How many of us have ever prayed for Osama bin Laden? I have not. And the prayers I've prayed have not been for his health. Or him being, his eyes being, but that's who this was. Saul was the Osama bin Laden of the Jewish church. He's out killing Christians. He's holding the coats when Stephen dies. He's got letters. He's going to go out and smoke people. And now, Ananias, I want you to go and I want you to heal uh, Osama bin Laden. No way. He's caught in a desert cave? Good. Drop another bomb on that guy. And and the reality is that in our flesh, we want to attack and we want vengeance and we want to get even. But the Lord says, Ananias, I want you to go and touch him. I want you to go and heal him. But Lord, are you sure this guy, he's bad. I want you to go share your faith with your boss. But the guy's a jerk, Lord. You know it. You're around, you see how he acts. The guy's a jerk. How can I go share my faith with him? I want you to go talk. Oh, but Lord, have you ever had those conversations with God? My neighbor, but the guy's a jerk. He's always, man, he's, and he, you know, gets stuff on my lawn and he's loud at night over there and they're having drunken parties. And, you know, I want him to move. I don't want to talk to him. I want you to go talk to him. I want you to go share with him. Ananias, I want you to go lay hands on Saul because I'm going to use him. Oh, but Lord. Are you sure? Verse 15. But the Lord said, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings and the children of Israel. He says, Look, you see who he is right now. I see who he's going to be. Amen? God sees the finished product. He who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. When you were in your sin, God saw you walking with him, serving him, and a vessel that he would use in a mighty way. I know people that before they were saved, walked away from car accidents and things that they should have died in three different times. You ever met anybody like that? Maybe that's you. And then you look back and you go, the Lord was preserving me because he saw the finished product, not the person I was at the time. The Lord saw who Saul was going to become, not who Saul was. And the Lord sees who you and I are going to become, not who we are. So Saul, this persecutor, and he's going to go and reach out to him. 
Now look at verse 16. For I will show how many things he must suffer for my namesake. And I want to just read this real quick. I don't want to take too much time, but in 1 Corinthians, don't turn there, I'll just read it to you. Actually, in 2 Corinthians, this talks about the things that Saul was going to face. And these are the things that Saul spoke of. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. This is Paul speaking. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in the perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides all the other things which come upon me daily. Now, if you saw an ad for that job, how many of you would be applying for it? And this is what was revealed to Saul before he even started. He said, you know what? This is one time when he said, take step one, and he did. And he said, I'm going to use you. You're going to be a chosen vessel of mine. But Saul, it's not going to be an easy road. You're going to go through the most radical and difficult stuff anybody ever has apart from Christ. And you know what? Often we want the testimony of mighty men and women of God, but we don't want the tests of mighty men and women of God. Without a test, there can be no testimony. Amen? Without us going through those difficulties and those struggles, Saul would never be the the mighty, zealous man of God that he became had he not gone through difficulty, had to come to the end of himself and fully rely upon the Lord. We go through trials and it's making us more into his image. So when trials come, we can count it all joy. He's a chosen vessel of mine. I'm going to use this guy. Verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I appreciate Ananias' heart here because he he struggled with it initially, but then once the Lord told him what to do, he went. And when he laid his hands on Saul, what did he call him? He called him brother. He didn't say, low down, dirty, vile persecutor, and this is for Stephen right there. (laughs) You know what I mean? in your mind right now, right? Okay, how about, you know, you can't see nothing. Who hit you? Testify, right? He didn't do that. He went and he laid hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, brother, we got Jesus in common. It doesn't matter what's in your past. It's who you are now that matters. It doesn't matter what's in your past. It's who you are now that matters. Amen? Guys, we don't have to go back and deal with issues in our past. You are a new creation in Christ. Paul said, let those things that are behind, leave them there and press forward to the upward prize in Christ Jesus. Amen? That upward calling. We don't need to go back and and, and deal with baggage and issues. I hate those words. They make me sick. It's just sin that needs to be repented of. Amen? But it's separated as far as the east is from the west. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you don't have to go back and visit every sin you've ever committed? The Lord wiped it out. It's done. Praise God. And Saul, you're brother Saul. You're not persecutor Saul anymore. You're a new creation in Christ, and you're my brother, and I'm going to pray for you. May we have that heart here in this church. We would love each other unconditionally. Amen? And then we'd see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he, but notice he calls him brother, even though the Holy Spirit has not yet come upon him. 
Because, again, as, we, as I, I've shared with you many times, I believe the Bible clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit goes from being with you to in you, but then there's something subsequent to that, baptism of the Holy Spirit, where He comes upon you. How is He brother Saul and the Holy Spirit's not yet on, filled with the Holy Spirit? Because it's subsequent to salvation. Verse 18. Immediately there fell from His eyes something like scales, and He received His sight at once, and He arose and was baptized. So Saul is converted, and as soon as he's converted and given his life to the Lord, now he's filled with the Spirit, and now he's being baptized. He's making a public confession of an inward change. Saul being baptized is radical, you guys. Do you understand that he went to the city to kill Christians, and now he's going to go be baptized to be identified with them? Radical. But that's the God that we serve, a God of radical transformation. But I love the fact that God used Ananias. This guy is not an apostle. He's an ordinary disciple, but God used him to touch this man and bring radical transformation in him. He would be a mighty man of God who would impact Christianity for all, for even now. Wrote most of the New Testament, used mightily by God. And I love it that God used a man named Ananias that we see nowhere else in Scripture. We should never underestimate the value of one soul to the kingdom of God. Amen? Sharing with one person is so significant. First of all, that one person alone and their salvation is worth so much that Jesus would have died just for them. So that alone is worth it. But we never know what God's going to do with that person. There's somebody that led Billy Graham to the Lord. Had no idea how God would use Billy Graham. When I get to heaven, I'm going to see Mrs. Green, who led me to the Lord at four and a half years old in my Sunday school class at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. And this is fruit of her faithfulness, this church right here. We never know what God's going to do. Amen? We just need to be faithful and share and love people and reach out to them the way the Lord wants us to. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So he was fed both physically and spiritually, and he was being strengthened to do God's work. So we see the transforming work of Christ. First, he's converted from death into life, from, from pride to brokenness, and now he's being baptized and filled with the Spirit. Whenever they're filled with the Spirit in the Bible, what, is it, what comes next? What do they do next? They serve. You never see someone being baptized with the Holy Spirit and then they go home and nothing changes. They ba- they're baptized in the Holy Spirit in preparation to be used mightily by God. Holy Spirit comes upon them. They don't go home and sit down and watch, you know, I Love Lucy reruns. They get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they go out and start having an impact on the world around them. Amen? And so what happens here is this is preparation for ministry. Look at verse 20. Immediately he preached the Christ in synagogues, that he is the Son of God. So what happened as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon him? He started preaching the gospel. He went from a persecutor of the gospel to preaching the gospel in a matter of days. What happened? He was converted and the Holy Spirit came upon him. 180. Our God is a God of transformation. Verse 21. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? They were all amazed. This Pharisee, what happened? This guy's proclaiming Christ. You know what? This guy was public enemy number one. Be like Osama bin Laden showing up at church and starting to preach the gospel. What? There's got to be an ulterior motive. People wouldn't believe it, but do you know what? Shouldn't it be that way with every person who gets saved? Our transformation should be so radical that the people work go, dude, what happened to you this weekend? 
I went to church and I gave my life to Jesus Christ and I'm a new creation in Him and He's more important than anything. Dude, what happened to you? And that should be, we should be salt and light, amen? There should be such a radical transformation in us that it should scare the world half to death, amen? They should see us and go, whoa! New creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. Verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is Christ. Now according to Galatians 1, Paul spent three years in the desert, and the Lord ministered to him there. And when he came back, he came back to Damascus, and he began to preach the truth to them. And he preached the truth to them from the Old Testament, and they could not refute it. So they all got saved, right? Look at verse 23. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So he he proved to them from Scripture that Jesus Christ is indeed God, but they didn't want it anyway. So Saul is converted, then he's filled with the Spirit, then he begins to preach the gospel, and now he's being persecuted. The persecutor becomes the persecuted. And he starts sharing his faith, and they don't want to hear it. They want to kill him instead. You know what? When people don't want to allow Jesus Christ to be on the throne of their lives, they want to silence it instead. You know what? I don't, don't talk to me about that. Ever met anybody like that? I don't want to hear it. Take those Ten Commandments out of that courtroom. You know, let's get that cross off the wall. It, you know, it convicts me. I don't want those Christian stickers in your office. Don't have your Bible sitting out on your desk. I know some of you face that. I know I have in workplaces where they don't want you to even have it assembled. Don't walk around with your Bible on your campus. Don't do that because it convicts me. And people would rather silence the truth than accept it. They would rather believe that lightning hit a puddle and, you know, an amoeba formed and became a monkey and now it's you than believe that Jesus Christ is God. It's been proven scientifically to be the biggest sham in the history of all mankind and people would still rather believe that. They'd rather believe that aliens came down and dropped life forms on earth. They'd rather believe anything than believe the truth. Oh, sh- shut up with the truth. You can teach, you can teach Cro-Magnon man, in, in, but you cannot teach Jesus in school. They want to silence the truth. They want to put it to death. They don't want to accept it, verse 24 and 25. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down to the wall in a large basket. They let Saul down. And I believe Saul was let down in more than one way because he really desired to preach to the Jews. And from the world's perspective, no one was more equipped to preach to the Jews than Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He grew up in their their training. He was trained by Gamaliel, the teacher of teachers. There was no one more qualified to reach the Jews than Saul. And who did the Lord use to reach the Jews? Peter. Fishermen knew nothing. Who does God use Saul to reach? The Gentiles. Why? Because God alone deserves the glory, not the, the amount of training that a man has. Amen? God wanted to take men that it made no sense and use them anyway. Doesn't want to use them for their expertise. The transforming work of Christ. Now, lastly, we're going to see here about Saul that they're going to testify of his good works. So he's converted, then he's filled with the Spirit, then he's preaching the gospel, then he's persecuted for his faith, and now he's going to have a testimony among those around him. Verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Yeah. If you heard, you know, again, Saddam Hussein shows up at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz next Sunday and wants to share his testimony. 
He might not get out of here alive. You know, we, we look at them, we say, dude, no, I've heard way too much about you. I ain't going for this. Pro- I don't believe it. And Paul, and that's who Saul was. And he shows up and they said, we don't believe that you're truly a disciple. Praise God for Barnabas. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Testimony followed. You know what? When we give our lives to the Lord and we're filled with the Spirit of the living God, we're submitted to Him, testimony will follow. People will start to see the fruit in your life. People that question your salvation at first, if they watch you for a while and you're walking with the Lord, will say, you know what? Something has happened. You know what? I've, I've seen the difference in you. And people will actually testify. Barnabas means son of encouragement, and that's what he was. He held up Saul's hands. He was an encouragement to him, and he testified in his behalf. Verse 28. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Saul, now once persecutor, now speaking boldly on behalf of the kingdom of God. This is a radical transformation. This can only happen if Jesus Christ gets a hold of your life. Amen? You can go from somebody who's dead in her trespasses and sins, who's walking contrary to God, who's going a 180 away from Him. You can take a million steps away from God. It truly is only one step back. He loves you so very much. And He wants to reach out and touch you and transform your life. And He begins to preach boldly to the very people that He once stood alongside and helped persecute Christians. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. When they found out that they were trying to kill him yet again, the very people that he had once persecuted are now the people that are protecting him. Ananias was a man in Damascus who Saul was going, and if Saul had his way, he was either going to kill him or put him in prison. And God uses Ananias to minister to him. You are the very people that some people may be coming after at work. And you may be the very tool that God uses to minister to them the truth of God's word. You know what? God prepares the heart of the one that needs to hear it, and he prepares the heart of the one that needs to deliver it. And whatever side we're on, may we be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, I'm not going to get to the rest of the chapter. But the transforming work of Christ. Saul's conversion. He went from death into life and from pride to humility. He went from his conversion to being filled with the Spirit, being equipped for ministry, publicly speaking out about his faith, being baptized. He went from conversion to being filled with the Spirit, and now he's preaching the gospel. He's boldly proclaiming the truth without compromise. And then he goes from boldly proclaiming the truth to facing persecution. He goes from being the persecutor to the persecuted. The Bible says, Jesus said of Matthew, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. For so they did the prophets who went before you. You know what? If you're being persecuted, and again, don't, if, if you're being persecuted because you're self-righteous and you have an attitude, then you're being persecuted because you're just a jerk, right? But if you're being persecuted because you love people and you share with them the love of God, then oh, how happy are you and how blessed you are in the eyes of the Lord. And then lastly, we'll see that his life begins bearing fruit and others begin to testify of him. You know what? Just examine your heart for a moment. Where are you in this process of transformation? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? If you haven't, you don't need to leave here without Him. He loves you. All you need to say is, yes, I'm a sinner and I want Him to be my Savior. And He will. 
and he will forgive all of your sin. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. No matter how much you've done, he loves you anyway. He that knows me best loves me most. Amen? And that blows my mind. And if you've been converted, and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, have you been filled with the Spirit of the living God? And have you been baptized? Have you made an outward statement of an inward change? Baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it is something that we do once we've given our lives to Him. We want the world to know, yes, I'm a Christian. No room for undercover Christians, amen? We're not CIA agents, right? People are coming out of the closet for a lot of stuff. We need to be stepping out for Jesus Christ, amen? We need to boldly let everybody know, yeah, I want to be identified with him. The Bible says if you confess him before men, he'll confess you before his Father in heaven. And so if you've been converted, have you come to the place where you've yielded your life completely to the Holy Spirit? And have you made a public confession of him, both in baptism and boldly letting people know, yeah, I'm a Christian, and not being ashamed of him? And if you've done that, have you begun to share your faith the way that, that Paul did, boldly preaching the truth? And then know that if you do, the persecution will follow. But know that the good news is, in the end, what ultimately will take place is there will be fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we just praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. And we thank you that you're such a loving and gracious and merciful God. We thank you, Lord, that even when we are striving to go 180 degrees away from you like Saul was, the Lord, that you will love us enough to bring us to the end of ourselves that we might look up. Father, I pray if there's even one person here this morning that doesn't know you, then maybe they've had religion, but they've never had a relationship. Maybe they've, they know about you or they've spent time reading about you in the Word, but Lord, they've never truly given their lives to you. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would respond the same way that, that Saul did. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, how do you want me to respond? And Lord, we know in your word that you say it very simply, that all we need to do is, is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we will be saved at the glory of the Father. Lord, if there's anybody here at all, I just pray that you would soften their hearts even now. If you know the Lord already, be praying for anyone here who might not. And I just want to give you just a quick opportunity. And all you're doing is saying, yes, I want Jesus to be my Savior. And I will pray a simple prayer with you. Just saying, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Jesus, come into my life. And you can walk out of here 180 change, just like Saul was, and know that you're going to heaven. So the Bible says, confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you're here this morning and you want to know for sure when you walk out of here that you've been born again, I just want you to raise your hand and I'll pray a simple prayer with you. Is there anybody at all? Don't leave, don't leave birth without him. He loves you so very much. Is there anybody? And Lord, I pray, Lord, for those of us who do know you, that Father God, that we would not be satisfied just with the the get-out-of-hell-free card in our wallet. But, Father, I pray that we would desire, like Saul did, to give our lives completely to you, to follow you with reckless abandon. Lord, I just pray for the filling of your Holy Spirit upon each of us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would make public confessions of you. I pray, Lord, that we would be like Saul and that we would preach the gospel. And, Lord, that when persecution or difficulties come, that we would not walk away from you, but we would hold more tightly to you. So, Father, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, that we don't go through this life alone, that we don't have to, that you love us so very much. Father, I pray that we would learn from Saul's example. And, Lord, I pray for revival that would begin in each of our hearts, that it would start in this room, and that it would impact Santa Cruz County. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said...
Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.